Howdy, BHRCers. You can find every episode of Why People on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcast content. On this Why People episode, episode 10, uh, we have Jess Elmquist, who's the CHRO at Phenom. Uh, Jess has a really, really cool story and really uh, amazing perspective on the role. Uh, so looking forward to getting into it. Let's go. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Why People podcast, a Boston HR Council production. Uh, for those first-time listeners, uh, the Boston HR Council is one of the largest HR and people executive communities in the world, uh, with over 1,500 CHRO, Chief People Officers, and VP of HR uh, Council members. Uh, I am joined by uh, co-founder of the BHRC and co-host of the Why People podcast, Paul Roberts. Paul, thanks for joining Happy to be here, Sean. Good day. Very excited for today's episode. It should be phenomenal. Thanks, Paul. Uh, and I will introduce our guest. Uh, we're, we're joined by Jess Elmquist, who is the uh, CHRO and Chief Evangelist of, uh, of Phenom. Uh, Jess, thanks for joining us. Hey, great great to be here. And uh, any anything I could do to support the BHRC, um, I'm ready to do it. It is a great, great uh, group of people. Awesome, Jess, and we're we're excited. Um, we know based on some of your uh, your guest speaking arrangements with the Boston HR Council uh, in the past that um, not only do you have a unique kind of journey into the top role, but um, but it's fair to say you have a really unique perspective on the role uh, in and of itself and where it's going. So I guess kind of starting there, um, and and I think uh, you've seen a few of these episodes, or at least I've seen some content around them. We really based the conversation uh, rooted in three different areas, right? We were really interested about folks' background and what kind of got them into the position to, to you know, to, to seek executive leadership. We then kind of talk about career and what that path looked like. And then we spend the, you know, the last part of the conversation about what the future holds and, and, and maybe some advice for folks just starting the journey. So, so just, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about you from a background standpoint and, and, and feel free to start you know, wherever it makes sense for you, whether it's childhood or education. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And um, I'm sure as CHROs and aspiring HR leaders and people that are uh, kind of working their careers up um, inside of the people side of the business, you know, I think the most important thing is that, you know, as an HR leader, having transferable skill sets is really important because most likely you're not going to be at one company. Uh, you're going to be able to take that skill and that ability to different places. And that's that's a really awesome thing. Although I had a long experience at Lifetime or Lifetime Fitness, a healthy way of life company, um, I was able to actually transition that into a technology company and with Phenom. And so I think the first thing, if I think about my own journey, um, I'm a systems thinker. So I really believe that you know, you can't just look at an individual. You have to look at the system that individual is in to be able to understand how to either motivate them or, you know, kind of how their story unfolds. And that's certainly the case, I believe, in companies as well. But uh, my my first system was my family of origin. And I would say that part of 
what helped me develop my passion and interest around working with people is uh, I had two older brothers. I had a younger brother. And my younger brother actually um, really helped shape my whole family because he had a pretty traumatic uh, illness when he was younger. Um, he had brain cancer. And so this is the 1970s, really uh, tough battle. But my brother and I roomed together. His name is Jeremy. And uh, we roomed together for years. And so I would say that going through that process and watching my brother and then also experiencing that as a young, uh, young brother supporting him, I really learned very early on the idea of empathy, of truly being in with somebody in that process of life and seeing and supporting uh, him and then watching him walk out into the world with some pretty significant uh, disabilities after surgery and because of the cancer and watching how the world either reacted or didn't react to him based on how he looked or sometimes how he behaved. And that really started to help me frame in the world that, you know what, we are all together and we have to start to dig in a little deeper with people and truly understand what makes them tick. Because my brother was a lion of a person. He passed away at age 47, uh, just a few years ago, after a Herculean battle to battle back, graduate from high school at uh, age 21, worked at a grocery store chain for almost 26 years, uh, was part of the union there, drove his own car. We really overcame some amazing uh, like uh, headwinds in his life. So empathy was a piece of that. But the other piece that I learned from my family system uh, and from my brother was this idea of the mindset, right? This positive mindset. You can choose your attitude wherever you go. And as I, you know, as I stated, my brother had some pretty significant uh, challenges in his life. And um, I'm tall. I'm 6'3". I have a brother who's 6'5". My dad's 6'5". We're all really tall. My brother, because of his illness, he only grew up to four, four foot eleven. So he was a pretty short guy. And uh, oftentimes, we're like, hey, you okay being short? The rest of the family's tall. He's like, yeah, don't worry about how I look. I'm six foot five on the inside, guys. That's how he was. And so mindset was a really important thing, too, where I'm saying, if my brother Jerry can overcome these things, that I can have a mindset and people around me can have a mindset that we can overcome. But we don't do that alone. We do that with people around us that believe in us and support us. So I think that probably helped me get into the people side of the business because I really saw that when people turn and started to have an idea of empathy and care and they really sat and listened, we could actually overcome almost anything. The other piece I'll say is about my, my family of origin is I come from a, a long background of college professors and educators my dad was a principal of a high school, public high school in Minneapolis for 35 years. And so having an education background where you start to realize that the world is, we're lifelong learners, um, that we should stay nimble, flexible, and open, and very curious about life. That was another big mover for me and ultimately led me to my first uh, first career, which was a public school teacher. I taught economics and American history for six years before I went into the world of business. And that was an amazing process of learning um, and uh, and leading uh, as a school teacher uh, before I got into, you know, leading people inside a business. So there's a little bit of a shape process of how I became who I am and incredibly uh, thankful for that journey, even in the midst of some of that difficulty of having a brother who was challenged and uh, and ultimately losing him. But all of those things are lessons and, uh, and were amazing in helping shape who I am. Jess, thanks. So much for uh, for sharing that. Um, 
the background uh, and uh, we have you know we've we've become friends um and I, I i know a lot about you i didn't know the story about your brother so i i i appreciate you sharing and it's neat as you were sharing that i'm kind of writing down on my notes i mean it really tracks with kind of the energy that you give off as a person and i guess to go a little bit further uh when i think of jess elmquist right i think of this kind of this positive energy a lot of energy positive but also kind of like hey it's positive but hey we we've got some work to do like it's it's kind of a a leaning forward momentum wise energy and and um you know i won't speak for paul but you know both um being able to relate to your story about your brother knowing that that part of that journey is hey you have to get up and go to your treatments you have to get up and you know do some rehabilitation things is that kind of you know forward kind of lean do you attribute that to to the story you shared with us yeah no i say that's a really good insight yeah i would say that you know you wake up after after having a brother who had so many challenges and setbacks right both physically and mentally um and you start to look at every day as a gift you know you wake up and you say i am grabbing on to this moment, this 24-hour day, and what can I accomplish inside of the day? And um, and so, yes, I think it is a lean forward uh, a kind of positive energy. And I, one of the philosophies I have, and I actually learned it from really studying uh, the Tao Te Ching and Lao Tzu, which is this kind of, you know, Eastern uh, kind of meditative uh, a book. But one of the lessons I learned in there is that if anything is possible, there are no limits. So if you ever, you wake up with the art of the possible in your mind, then you start to say, you know what, I might have a barrier, or I might have an obstacle in front of me, or we might have a really complicated thing that we have to unscramble, but we can get through that. We can make it through and we can figure out what the answer is, or we'll redirect this in another way to be able to actually get down to solution. And I found certainly inside the world of human capital and working with people, um, because it's not just binary, like a you know computer or a light switch, you just turn it on or off, people are more complex. When you walk in with the art of the possible and each day is an opportunity to do something positive and forward thinking, I think it actually sets you and then ultimately your team and strategy up to actually be a winning strategy over time. Because a setback isn't a you know failure. A setback is a learning opportunity to move forward. So I, I agree with you. I think that is part of the core of who I am. Um, it's not an empty energy around the down, around the day, right? It is an energy that is is got depth underneath it, um, and then you utilize that to actually do real work and get real stuff done. Well, it's it's awesome, Justin. Again, thanks for sharing, and we can certainly um, feel it, you know, in in your in your voice. So, kind of based on what you sh- what you share with us, uh, and I'm sure we could probably have a whole podcast just on this transition from uh from public you know from school teacher to <laughs> to corporate america but tell us a little bit about um maybe not so much that transition but i guess was there anything leading up to that right you shared some personal uh things relative to your family and your brother but i guess was there anything leading up to you being a a school teacher where you look back now and and you say oh geez well that that tracks with HR and people and the function, um, you know, just curious if there was any kind of, you know, early on, you know, red herons, if you will. Yeah, no, I um, certainly, I think it was, I would say it's almost was the training ground because in a classroom, I had 190 students, you know, I was teaching five to six hours of classroom 
a day, you start to learn how to actually, again, manage your managing process, you're managing systems, you're managing outcomes. You are a classroom manager. You're actually thinking about how to inspire people to accomplish more than they thought possible. So there was a really significant training ground. So when I said, you know what, I love education, but I want to see if I can actually jump out and do something in business. I found the transferable skill sets from an education background, the formal education that I got at my university as a licensed educator, but also the six years in kind of the crucible of teaching high school. Um, and I also, you know, I coached, I coached uh, basketball. I was this student, uh, I was a mentee, our mentor and in the mentee mentor program. I also was a certified special education instructor. Um, I also was a family mediator. So I did a lot of mediation for my school district when kids and parents couldn't get together. So all of those things, when I got into the business of business, right, and I walked in, um, I found those things were so clearly transferable uh, that I made that leap. And But I didn't know it until I got there. Like, I was nervous to walk into business because all of a sudden I had new outcomes and how I was paid and commission and all those types of things were so new. I was a little worried, like, what if I can't? And then I walked in and realized I was actually training for this really my whole career and then really took off from there and didn't look back. So yes, there were definitely transferable skill sets and things that I I realized um, after the fact that uh, I was able to accomplish because of the experience I had. Well, that's really cool, Jess. And, and it's the last question. Well, we're kind of in this early stages and, and we'd love to kind of you know transition to talk about the, the actual HR and people career journey, but could you share a little bit about, okay, I'm, I'm Jess Umquist. I'm at the, I'm at the front of a classroom at a teacher's desk. Could you, could you share what that next landing spot was that brought you into corporate America, the business world? Yep. 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 Yeah. So, um, I ended up actually, um, moving and transitioning into a, a startup business. Um, that was about four and a half, five years old when I started, um, a company called Lifetime and just a little tip of the hat to Boston, I was actually, I helped open the Framingham, the Chestnut Hill and the Westwood uh, Lifetime back in the day, a few years ago in Boston. So I spent a lot of time in Boston doing that business. But way back when I first started, Lifetime was a $19 million company with five clubs, health clubs, or uh, we call them healthy way of life destinations today uh, in Minnesota. And I actually started um, like a lot of startups doing a hundred things, but ultimately I landed on the uh, on the sales and marketing side. So I met the CEO and founder and he was just trying to grab people. And I asked him, I said, why do you want a teacher to come? And that's kind of the question you're, I think you're asking, Sean, is why do you want a teacher to come to Lifetime? I don't get it. Like I couldn't see it yet. It took a little while. He said, no. He said, I want you to understand that everything that you have, no one can teach. Everything you need to learn in business, you can learn here at Lifetime. And so what he saw was, I think, some of that character build of me through my family system, as well as my education, that he was like, oh, this guy can do this. I know he can. And so he had a belief in me um, with the team uh, that I worked with. So I got into sales and marketing on the business-to-business side of my time, selling corporate contracts for memberships and health and wellness education, um, and ended up being the vice president of sales and marketing before I transitioned even into the people side of the business. And so, um, but that was kind of startup mode. And so for the first five years of my career, I played a little bit inside of HR, 
And how I did that is because of my education background, we started Lifetime University. And it was the training mechanism to make sure as we expanded out of Minnesota to Detroit, uh, into Chicago, into Virginia, those were some of the first states we built in. Um, I went out and I actually then started to teach and train with a few other people the Lifetime way, the Lifetime mission, the processes by which, what made us different, our competitive, our competitive edge, and our mission about who we were. And so I was able to really very quickly not only find out that I had a lot of skill and then had success on the sales and marketing side, like the actual business bottom line P&L, but I also found, again, that that teaching element, that ability to build a teaching methodology and a system really played out well as we wanted to make sure that the lifetime way was happening in every place that we built one of our uh, one of our um, buildings. So that was the transition in. And then over time, um, I walked into almost backwards, like a non-traditional way of HR. I started with uh, teaching in the university, took over the university and built the entire L&D program with a team of people. Then I took on talent acquisition and I did all of the talent acquisition piece, started to build recruiters, find technology and build a system because we were hiring by the time I was, you know, my left lifetime, we were hiring over 20,000 people a year. And then eventually with the senior vice president of HR at Lifetime, really took on the responsibility of traditional HR back of the house support around compensation benefits and the pieces that are really critical as a foundation to help build. So I did a little bit of a working backwards in the HR, but I think that actually led me to be positioned really well in this world where we are so forward thinking on talent. That's where I started. That's where my expertise is. And I think that's played out really well in a lot of the marketplaces that I help impact today. That's amazing, Jess. And it's We'll come back to the piece that I think there's a lot of what you shared that I think is is pretty amazing. You know, the, the note that I had, and again, I, I didn't know this about you. We've chatted quite a bit. Um, pretty cool about the, and I don't know if this person's still the CEO, but the CEO of Lifetime kind of, you know, using some intuition, you know, and some gut, you know, to, to make that bridge for you or, or help you make it for yourself. Uh, so we'll come back to that a little bit later, but you're a, you're a pretty modest guy relative to the lifetime. So do, do you mind just telling us in, in helping the the audience kind of situate just how, you know, just how big of an operation that is? Because I, I've been in quite a few rooms where you chat about it and people say, wow, that's, that's rock and rolling. Yeah. Yeah. You almost don't know kind of what you've accomplished with an amazing team until you walk out of it and you go, holy moly, that, that was something. And to do it at scale, I'll talk about that in just a second, to be able to do it at scale, but predictably every single day, that was the key, right? I, I told I told my team often when we'd sit down and talk through our systems and our processes to be able to do what we did, I said, I never thought when I was you know playing basketball in high school that consistency was going to be one of my favorite words in the world. Like, you know, I was like, really? But consistency is such a critical part of being able to do something to excellence every single time. And that's what uh, my team and I really helped accomplish. So Lifetime, we, we, I mean, we had double digit growth year over year for as many years as I was there. And so uh, when public, um, when public, uh, private again, with a couple of uh, really strong PE organizations, when public again. So I've had this really great continuation, but I think the big story there is, is that 
we um, we wanted to hire the right people at the right time all the time. Like we never wanted to miss that member experience. And so that was our true north is making sure that we lived the mission and we had people that could do that every single day, no matter if they were a part-time person doing 15, 20 hours a week, or they were one of our highly paid full-time professionals certified and licensed to do what they do. And so um, Lifetime is a large destination, 125, 150,000 square feet on average uh, one of our facilities will have 300 to 350 total team members. And we had uh, 31 states, I think 40, 40, 45 major markets um, in North America, uh, including Toronto. And we had 100 and I think there's 162 uh, locations today. So you start to think about just the total energy there. Plus you were hiring to cafes, uh, many spas, swim and aquatics, operations, sales, personal training, Pilates, yoga. I mean, you go down the line, you're talking about hundreds of job descriptions. And again, licensed by state often or licensed by city or certified. And so we had to do that en masse, again, like 20,000 people a year. Part of that was just backfilling part-time people that went back to school or you know, found a full-time role somewhere else. But many of that was just on the front end growth. We were hiring 4,000 or so new people every single year just to build and fill our new facilities. And then we also had seasonal people. We were hiring somewhere around 9,000 people for the summer season because we have outdoor pools, outdoor bistros, kids camps where parents uh, took their kids and put put them in our kids camps all the summer. So we had to hire 9,000 people to start in May and finish up in August. And we wanted them back every single year. How do you keep a process up where you're communicating with them and rehiring them every year? So it was very complicated and it was a Herculean task and the expectations were incredibly high. And so you couldn't miss a summer pool season. Like you couldn't not have lifeguards. Right. You couldn't not open a club when we said to the public we were going to open the club. So we always said the members, they're coming. They're going to end up at our door and we got to make sure that we're ready. And so we had some pretty rigorous and consistent processes, but also never compromising. Even though we were at sale, it was the right people at the right time. So it was a big job and incredibly fun. I mean, really fun, even in the challenging moments. Yeah. Again, just even those numbers are pretty staggering. And I, I, yeah, well, obviously, I don't want to tell your story for you, Jess, but um, but I know just just that rigor and just that that process is is, is somewhat elementary to or, or or somewhat important to to kind of where you where you are now. So, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about about kind of that connection from that Herculean effort that you talk about to uh, to where Phenom kind of plays in? Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. I. I think, you know, when I think about those transferable skill sets, right, if we're an aspiring HR leader or executive, being able to learn how to understand and get up on the balcony of your own profession and what you're doing and go, yep, I can apply this here in this business, but how am I going to step away a little bit further to be able to say, what are the systems and the ways of thinking and the structures that I could take anywhere and apply them to any place? That's, I think, an important thing because I think we can sometimes get stuck that somehow we're like a one-trick pony. I can do it here, but I don't know if I can do it everywhere. So that transferable skill set, I think, is really important. And if I think about the things that are going to be are really important for me um, or for any other executive in today's world, I think about three things as I walk into Phenom. So I was at Lifetime a little over 20 years, 
um, helping build that organization, which was an amazing journey. Never thought I'd be anywhere that long, but it just continued to be just an amazing story and opportunity to do some great work. But as I really started to take a look at the second half, and that wasn't as much chronological as it was psychological, thinking about how I could make a larger impact on the world, as well as, again, take that, you know, kind of take my own medicine. Do I have the skills to be able to actually transfer these things to another place? There were really three lessons that I, I took away. One is, as an HR leader today, I think actually having change management as a key skill set is important. Not only ability to go through change management yourself, like you can actually be nimble and flexible enough to actually move through change, but also being able to actually help shepherd an organization through constant and continuous change, I think it's a critical lesson in today's world, especially as our economy speed up with the power of AI and what's happening there, as well as just the power and the change in generations from a baby boom led kind of organizations to Gen Z and millennial, and then ultimately a, a younger, you know, Gen Alpha even is on its way coming in, constantly continuous change is one of our realities. And so having a change management expertise that is really important. The other piece is I think being able to learn or, or you have the skill of communicating in a multifaceted and very diverse group. But the diversity bonus is real. But as an HR leader, you need to be able to actually embrace that and truly measure it uh, as you um, as you pull teams together and help an organization plan for their future. But the third one is the one that helped me leap to what you were asking, Sean, which was as a CHRO, I learned very early on at Lifetime, I cannot, we cannot do what we're doing fast enough without technology. We'll never be able to hire those 20,000 people at the right time, at the right place all the time, unless I partner my great team with great technology that allows us to do that. Because what we saw were people were looking for jobs when my recruiters were home, right? It was Saturday night or a Friday afternoon when people were already heading out the door, but I wanted to be able to have a conversation with those people. So as a CHRO, being a partner and an innovator in the world of technology, you cannot delegate it. You have to own it. And that gave me an opportunity to move into Phenom. So Phenom is a is a, a SaaS uh, platform. It's an AI-empowered talent platform that helps companies plan from candidate experience all the way to the employment experience across that entire platform. It's an AI-empowered technology that allows your organization to make really thoughtful plans and connect the candidate and the employee with the leaders and the recruiters to be able to have a data-driven, interactive experience that helps people plan their careers long-term. So Phenom was actually one of the products and one of the key leading products that I used and platforms I used at Lifetime uh, for almost nine years. And as I transitioned, it became very clear that uh, coming in and helping Phenom not only grow, because they're growing incredibly fast and I've got a lot of that background, but also I am a technology first CHRO. I believe in it. I think it's important. I felt like Phenom was a place that I could invest some time in, not only as a CHRO helping support a great HR team internally to grow, but also as that chief evangelist, you know, that uh, that odd title that people sometimes cock their head and go, what are you? Um, but really being able to be on, you know, being on a podcast like this to be able to speak to the future of the world of human capital and HR, but also talking about an enabled organization that uses technology to be able to drive the human capital strategies forward with less effort and more predictability. And that's what Phenom has allowed me to do. And I'm now helping uh, hundreds of companies around the world 
strategize within that context. Yeah, thanks for thanks for kind of giving us that that story, Jasper. It's a, it's an amazing one, um, and kind of credit to credit to Phenom for for being able to create a, a technology and a platform that helped with that velocity that you talk about at lifetime. That's the that's the only word that that comes to mind when you talk about it, right? As an operations kind of thinker myself, it's it's like, man, that's 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 fast. So it's uh, you know, yeah, pretty cool that Phenom was able to create something to help you with that, and and even cooler that that they and you saw the value in it so much um, that that's where you're at, kind of leading the function now. So so thanks for kind of giving us that background. And I guess a good spot to go now, Jess, is okay. Now you're you're at Phenom, right? You know, the, the layperson, you know, looks at Lifetime and Phenom, and those are two dramatically different organizations from maturity, from size, from from you name it. You know, tell us a little bit about what that transition has looked like for you personally, you know, and, and how, you know, how your skills and how your thoughts have kind of shaped the how you lead the function now. Um, yeah, I think it's it's been interesting because part of it was being able to, again, be nimble and flexible. And again, that's always a challenge for me. I wake up every day and say, today, you know, you know be be agile, Jess, right? Be flexible. Um, but I think in that context, I would say that the lessons I learned early in lifetime are applied in today's world at Phenom. And so being able to go backwards to go forwards um, is a good thing. Take those reference points, uh, fast growth lessons I learned early on, some of the pitfalls that can happen with founder-led businesses and making sure that people are strategizing and working around it so that you can expand past, you know, just being uh, a, a being kind of founder-centric to being broader than that, where you have new leaders that have the opportunity to run big channels. And that's certainly happening at Phenom. And so I think going, going backwards to go forwards for me and taking those lessons learned, but also knowing that they aren't a one-to-one, right? Their lessons learned now, how do I apply them here and what makes sense and what doesn't? And so I think that's part of it is, is that you have this wide pool of experience with the years that I've been in the world, uh, I'm working in the world of HR um, and then being able to go back that. The other piece though is I'm not alone, right? Really strong thinkers internally, finding them, elevating them and giving them the voice and the balance to be able to move forward is really important. And then it's the greater outside, like the greater outside reference points, right? Like, for instance, in the BHRC, right? Part of the power of what you you guys have built here is we have reference points where we can call and ask for help and insight. That's the other piece I think that I learned very, very quickly is you're not alone. In fact, the most, the p- most powerful way to lead is actually lead with reference points and collaboration with people around you. And so networks are really important to be a part of. So I think that's really helped me kind of transition into being on find my place there. And certainly there have been puts and calls, right? There have been disappointments and successes, but that's all part of the part of the game. Yeah. And and just so that's that's very helpful, I think, for our audience, even and for, for me and Paul is to is to understand kind of um the difference there in, in, in that transition. Um you talked about the chief evangelist role and i think that's really neat I, i've actually been fortunate to be a part of it you know in conversation with you uh relative to some of the the chros and chief people officers in our you know community and um and whenever they're thinking about maybe a change or, or kind of redesigning how they think about 
what we've talked about today, right? Some of that velocity. Right. Uh, can you can you tell us or maybe talk a little bit about that role uh, relative to when you're kind of when you're chatting with your peers and how you approach it? Yeah, um, I appreciate you asking. So the chief manager's role, uh, I, I love that role. And part of it is that I, I believe in technology, right? And I already talked about that. That's just been window dressing. That's literally been tried and true dependencies in a marketplace with a business and you need technology to see that through. So really what I do is I have a lot of conversations with uh, uh, chief uh, human resource officers, CPOs, uh, but I spend a lot of time talking about the power of technology today. And there's really uh, four or five things. One is speed. The other one is accuracy. The other one is personalization. The other one is automation. And then AI is co-pilot, obviously, since last November. How does HR get get elevated and how do you help the people that are inside your organization stop with the redundant tasks that take up and eat up so much of their time and elevate their work so that they can do really people-focused, purpose-driven activities that make the largest difference. So that's really the whole cornerstone of the evangelist uh, role that I play. And then I get a opportunity, part of my own life uh, mission is to leave people in the world better than I found them. And so I love the idea of being able to go with uh, go to organizations and help them think forward around their people strategies because as an evangelist, I have access to literally hundreds of organizations and I'm having dozens of conversations a month with people talking about what are their priorities, what are they seeing around the corner, what are the trends, what are they seeing are working or not working. And so I can bring that insight organizations um, uh, across the across the globe. So it really resonated with both my own personal mission, right, and purpose of why I'm around, but it also resonated with my professional experience um, and being able to bring that to bear with other organizations. Um, almost think about it almost as a consultant and uh, a supporter of CHROs, CEOs that are looking to really set a people forward strategy around cutting edge uh, kind of opportunities. Plus, I get to write um, on the Ford, Forbes uh, uh, HR Council, and I've written several articles for Forbes this year. I'm on the CNBC HR Council. Um, I've had an opportunity to write for Fast Company, and then I have a podcast called Smarter as well. So I'm, again, just helping to elevate leadership and thought leadership inside the world of human capital and the people business. That's uh, neat, Jess. I'm, you have to probably ask the question at some point about when you sleep, but uh, but we'll We'll ask that at a, at, a, at a different podcast. But so this has been really neat, Jess. We've we've kind of learned about your background. We've learned about this really amazing career of yours and where you're at now. And in, in the last kind of few minutes of every uh, of every episode, we chat about the future or you know some advice for uh, folks that are maybe earlier on in their careers. But a question I had for you that I think is kind of um, you know adjacent to that to that conversation is. You had mentioned that um, that the the CEO at the time, I'm not sure if the person's still in place at Lifetime, really kind of took a shot on you um, as far as your background. And um, you know, one of the really amazing things that have happened to to Paul and I through the creation of the of the Boston HR Council and even this podcast is we've had a lot of folks reach out to us and said, "Hey, I'm in XYZ role in ABC industry." But I'd really like to get involved in HR. Uh, it's it really seems like something I'd be I, I'd be you know I'd be great at. I'm passionate about it. Um, but a lot of what we've seen is kind of this this heavy um, 
candidate marketplace just across the board with all the different ways that you're able to apply to a position and yeah scene and and all of these things so i i guess maybe just a question for you jess is and and kind of putting you on the spot here is if if you're if you're a, a, a Jess Elmquist in, in 2023 sitting in a in a classroom and you want to make that that change, you know what can you do? Yeah. So uh, first of all, the founder is still at Lifetime, and I've owed a lot of my career to his intuition and, uh, and giving me an opportunity. And so I think, but I don't think those things are exclusive to you know um, the 1990s and you know that one point in time. I think it happens a lot. What we want to do is we want to actually expand that. And I think, again, technology is a piece of this, but we want to expand it past that. I happen to meet a guy, I rubbed uh, elbows, and often it is a guy right in today's world. We want to broaden that and break down some of those barriers where people have an opportunity to um, to walk into opportunities that they never had before. So part of the level playing field that I think technology can offer is giving people new and more strategic avenues to do exactly what you were just saying is how do you get uh, get to make a transition like I was able to do? I think the first lesson around human behavior is there's always the all of a sudden. We can all have the motivation or the energy or the vision or the belief that someday I'd like to, but there was a time where I actually had to leave teaching, the only thing that I knew, and make the leap. So there's always the all of a sudden and change. And so know that if you are a young professional looking to make a shift, right, from either whether it's, you know, uh, well, like I did education to business or from one business type to another industry category or vertical, know that there's always going to be all of a sudden. I think the other piece, though, is I think what I want to state really clearly is the new talent economy is real. There are new values, new expectations, new flexibility and new visions and, and dreams that uh, the people entering the workforce today have. So we need to make sure as organizations that we frame up what our company stands for in a way that we've never done it before. Part of what AI is empowering inside of HR, especially advanced HR organizations. We have a customer called Cigna. They're they're big, you know, healthcare uh, organization, uh, but they started an internal mobility uh, platform tool with the the Phenom platform, and they have well over sixty percent of their employees. I've gone in and filled out their own talent cards. And what they're doing is they're attaching skills. So rather than the traditional pedigree, I went to this college, I graduated with this degree, we're now taking skills. And this is the leap that you're talking about. AI-empowered skills takes the skills and allows the data to be elevated so the leader can see the skills, the person can see the skills that the new job needs. And then if you have your great L&D-empowered team, offering those training mechanisms that people can start to build new badges of skills, you being able to transfer rather than a north-south. Actually, I had someone share this with me last week. This is not north-south. This is east-west career planning. Industry to industry, but also job type to job type in organizations. I'll give you an example. We have an organization uh, that's a great customer of our Southwest Airlines. They have a, a internal, they call it a talent marketing manager. That's a marketing person, a specialist in marketing that works in HR on the Phenom platform to make sure that the pipeline and the funnel for Southwest stays vibrant and active for them to be able to hire across their hundred marketplaces. Think of the power of that though. You're a marketing manager somewhere over on the sales side and you're going, you know what? I love working with people, but I don't know if I have transferable skills. 
inside the system, the stills actually say, did you know that you're a 90% fit for this HR job called talent marketing manager? I never knew that existed. But with technology and with people, again, having a dream, Sean, to your point of wanting to make a shift, and then with a skills-based world, a kind of ontology that connects skills everywhere so that people can see the non-linear ways that they can grow their career, I think the cap has been pulled off that opportunity like never before. So if you're active, you can actually make that same transition that the founder and CEO of Lifetime helped me do as a one-off. We can do that en masse, not only inside organizations, but across industries. I think that's certainly kind of the wave of the future. Um, and uh, I think that's where people are engaging. So organizations that aren't doing that and are using the old paper method or an Excel database, they're in trouble. And so technology with a great purpose statement of who you are as an organization with leaders who are transformational in how they're looking at people, giving those people the opportunity to make those moves. I'm telling you that is a competitive edge like never before. Yeah. It sounds like a jest and I can can hear it in your voice, um, you know, the the belief system there. So the last question here for you, Jess, we really appreciated the time and the conversation is, uh, and I'm interested to ask it because you seem, or you are, you're a very kind of futuristic thinker, it seems like, just kind of naturally. So a futuristic thinker like yourself that is performing on the on the, the cutting edge in a lot of areas, you know, what what are you thinking about, in you know, for the future? Um, and then, you know, the second part of that question is, you know, do you have any advice for for you know that person that's just starting off in the HR field that aspires to to someday be in an executive role like yourself? Um, yeah, I think um, back to that word consistency. Some of these things may not feel overly advanced, but I, I think they are advanced thinking. I'll go back to one thing I said earlier: as senior executives or leaders inside of HR, don't delegate your technology. Be a partner with your CIO and your technology team, but really understand how technology is going to influence how you're going to be on the cutting edge and on um, the future of what where talent is looking for the right opportunity. So I think that's a future. You'd be amazed on how many CHROs they just even based on chronological kind of age, right? I, I was an I was an immigrant into technology, not a native. I became more of a specialist in technology because I realized I saw the wisdom. And doing that because it was the way that I could get my job done, helping inspire people. So that is a real future. That's still a future pushing thing. That's the first thing. The second piece is um, I believe that the future, especially when we think about the diversity bonus in the sense of we have to start looking at non-traditional ways of putting teams together. And we also know that in the economy where we have still downward pressure on the number of jobs available and the number of candidates that we've traditionally looked to fill those roles, we have to look to a non-traditional means to be able to fill roles and to push them forward uh, successfully. So we have to start thinking around skills and using technology to be able to actually move those things forward. I do think that's the future. I think also the new talent economy is real. So I think we got to make sure that as an organization, our main purpose can't just be bottom line profits, although those are really important and they have to be front and center. Those are almost outputs to who you are as an organization, your purpose, your reason for existing, who you are and how you are with your people. That is very important to the new workforce moving into um, the world. They're not looking for work-life balance. They're looking for work-life harmony. And that is not 
sacrificing business outcomes for someone's lifestyle, and it's not sacrificing your lifestyle for business outcomes. It's both. And I think if you're an organization that's forward thinking, you can work through that and have uh, an environment and a culture that actually creates so much loyalty with the people that work with you that when you ask for the extra mile, that discretionary effort, they give the mile because it's theirs to give, not because you're asking. When you do that, that flywheel of the futurist kind of mindset around the CHRO, I think really comes into view. And so education, skills, being able to be really kind of open to making sure you're continually working on your diversity bonus inside your organization. And again, going back to that idea of clear communication um, and being a change manager is going to be really important uh, in the future of HR in leading organizations from a human capital Jess, if you're you're a pretty uh, amazing guy. I mean, we could. I feel like we could we could chat, you know, hours and hours about some. Well, thank you. Things. Um, so we appreciate you, Jess. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Again, thanks both of you for what you're doing. I love the Boston HR Council. It's an awesome group, and uh, happy to always uh, hopefully add a little value uh, to what it is that uh, we're all doing across the country. Awesome, Jess. We look forward to seeing you soon, pal. All right, you take care. Good job, Russ. Thank you. Let's take a second think back. Think back. My, 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 my physical frame is celebrated because I made it.